Welcome to the Five State Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Mann, and I record this podcast to invest in the move of God that's happening in our five-state region of South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota, Iowa, and Nebraska. And on this episode, I'm going to continue the End Times for Beginners series that I've been doing. This is I'm going to play for you the audio version of the uh, the videos that I've been recording on my YouTube channel and uh, um, talking about End Times for Beginners. And if you want to see the the video version of these recordings, you, of course, you can go to my YouTube channel, which is called Five State Revival, just like the podcast, and see those there. And so what I'm focusing on in these particular sessions is the significance and uh, um, unique role that Israel and the Jewish people have in God's eternal plan to bless all the nations of the earth. I'm going to talk about what that calling is. I'm going to, and it's how it's important for us as Gentile followers of Jesus to understand the significance of their calling and to pray and and contend uh, in, in union with Jesus f- for Israel to help them come into their calling so that when they come into their calling, God's plans can be fulfilled in all the nations of the earth. And so they're going to, I'm also going to talk about the difficult path that they're going to have to walk in order to come into their calling and how, why we as Gentile followers of Jesus need to be standing with them. So I think that you're going to find this helpful. Um, also, I'm going to be uh, answering a couple questions that I had from listeners in here uh, concerning the timing of the rapture and uh, also uh, another question that talked about signs of the times and uh, how how we'll know are there any specific signs that will mark that we are coming in to uh, the end of the age or the great tribulation so I answer that question as well so anyway hope you enjoy this we'll get straight into it after this word from our sponsors Welcome to session eight of the End Times for Beginners course. And I, what I, my goal with this course is just to uh, give um, a, a basic understanding about what the scriptures teach concerning the end times. And it's, I'm trying to put it together in a way that's especially helpful for those of you who are beginners. Like you're interested in learning about this, but you have never really studied it before. You feel like you basically are starting from scratch. And so each one of the videos in this playlist is just another bite-sized piece of information from the scriptures about what the Bible teaches concerning the end times. And by the time you work your way through all the videos in the playlist, you put those little pieces together, you're going to have a pretty good picture about what the Bible actually says will happen in the end times. And so uh, in the first 10 sessions of uh, this course, I'm um, just laying, uh, talking about three key themes in the Bible that are important to understand when you're reading the end times prophecy in the Bible. And uh, so the first four sessions of this course, I talked about the concept of Jesus reigning on the earth, living here with people forever and ever and establishing his kingdom in all the earth. And then in sessions five through seven, I talked about the glory and uh, importance of Jesus functioning in his role as a judge. 
in sessions 8 through 10, which I'm beginning in this video, I'm going to talk about the significance of Israel in God's eternal plan. And then beginning in session 11, we'll start looking at some of the end times prophecies in the Bible and talking about the key events um, key figures and characters in the end time story and uh, the timing and when when are those things going to happen, what to look for. We'll get into all those details. But what I want to do in this video today is I want to begin answering the question, why is Israel significant uh, to the completion of God's plan to bless all the nations of the earth? And so I want to begin answering that question by uh, looking at um, a covenant that God himself initiated and made with a man named Abraham in the Bible. And we can see the, this story, this covenant begin. It's in Genesis chapter 12. So what happened is God ha has it in his heart. He's like, I want to bless all the nations of the earth. Of course, the earth was under a curse, and the earth was filled with sin. And he says, I want to bless all the nations of the earth. I want to redeem human beings. I want to redeem uh, the nations, and I want to redeem and restore the earth and so I can fulfill my original plan and uh, come and live on the earth with my people for ever and ever and ever with no sin, no curse, no crying, no pain, all that negative stuff that comes with sin. And so God's like, I want to do this. I want to bless all the nations. So God had this plan in mind as a salvation plan, and he began the process by looking for a person that he could work with so that uh, he could begin implementing his plan to reveal himself to the nations because because sin was in all the earth and people were living in darkness. And so people, they had confused ideas about who God was. If there is a God, are there many gods? There was just confusion because darkness had set in as people drifted further away uh, from the light and walked in greater depths of sin. And so God says, I need to, first of all, reveal who I am to the nations of the earth. Second, I need to reveal what I'm like. And then I need to reveal to the people how I relate to them and how they can relate to me. And so, and then I got to teach them my ways and begin training the nations and uh, so that I can begin this healing restoration process. So God found a man that he trusted named Abraham. And he spoke to Abraham in uh, Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, and he said, The Lord said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household. Go to the land I will show you. And then here, listen to these specific promises, because every one of these are important. He says, I will make you into a great nation, Abraham. And then he says, And I will bless you. Then he says, Abraham, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Then he says, verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, Abraham, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And finally, he says, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So I just want to highlight you know, four of the very specific promises God made to Abraham. He told him, he says, hey, leave where you're at, go to the place that I'm going to show you, and if you'll do that, he says, I'm going to bless you in these ways. And God said, first, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And, of course, we know them today as the nation of Israel. And then God promised to make Abraham great and that Abraham would be a blessing so that all the peoples on the earth would be blessed through him. Then God promised that he would bless those who bless Abraham and curse those who curse Abraham and his descendants as well. And then finally, God promised to, this is important, to give Abraham and his descendants, which is the nation of Israel, 
the land of Canaan forever. That's an important thing. Like, uh, and, and then it goes on. I'm going to read a couple more passages where God makes these promises to Abraham and his descendants. Genesis 12, verses 6 through 7. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So it wasn't just like, hey, Abraham, don't worry. Someday I'm in charge. I own all the real estate on the earth. I'm in charge. I can give it to whoever I want to give it to you. Don't worry. I'll make sure and reserve a good piece of land somewhere on the earth for you and your descendants. That's not what he said. He says, I'm going to give you and your descendants, I'm giving you this piece of real estate, the, the land of Canaan. And then in Genesis 13, 12 through 17, Abraham lived in the land of Canaan. In verse 14, it says, the Lord said to Abram, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north, south, east, and west. All the land that you see, now where is he at? He's in the land of Canaan. He says, all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring. Listen to this, forever. That's a big deal. God says, this piece of real estate, I've earmarked it. I've designated it. I've making an eternal covenant. It's going to be forever the possession of you, Abraham, and all of your descendants, which we know today as Israel, the nation of Israel. And then he goes on to say, I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. And then he actually says, go walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I'm giving it to you. He's like, I really mean it. Now, God repeated this promise to Abraham several times and then appeared to his descendants and repeated the promise to them. God's like, I promise you this, not just for a couple thousand years, forever, this land belongs to you and to your descendants. And then in Genesis 15, 18 through 21, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt. And then he actually gives the boundaries of the piece of real estate that he was designating for Abraham and his descendants forever. He says, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenesites, the Cadmonites, Hittites, Parasites, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. So like the land where all those people were living in Abraham's day, God says, this land I'm going to give to you and to your descendants forever. And so um, we see that God made this covenant with Abraham. And he says, and through you, and God's like, I'm gonna make a covenant with you. You're gonna be my covenant people. But God didn't, he, he loved Israel. He loved Abraham and his descendants who ended up being called the nation of Israel. Um, he loved them, but God actually was blessing them because he loves all the nations of the earth. And through his interactions and his dealings with Israel through his covenant relationship with them, God would reveal himself and his ways to the rest of the nations of the earth so that all could ultimately be saved and enter the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus, the Messiah, who himself is a descendant of Abraham, which is interesting. The king that will rule all the nations and so when you think of the kingdom of God on earth, getting back to what I talked about in the first four videos of this series, how God's kingdom is going to encompass the entire planet, um, the capital of God's kingdom is going to be in the city of Jerusalem, which, of course, is in the land of Israel. And um, Jesus is going to be the king of the nation of Israel 
And as the king of Israel, he is going to appoint the leaders in the governments of all the other nations, and he's going to uh, release his policies and decrees from the capital city of the Jerusalem, and they'll be implemented by the leaders he appoints throughout all the other governments in the nations of the earth, and the whole earth will be filled with peace and justice and righteousness and prosperity. And so we see that God's ultimate plan, he wants to fill the whole earth with his glory. He wants He's going to rule all of the nations, but Israel has a very key role because God made a covenant with Abraham. He says, uh, I'm going to bless you, and it's through you and your descendants that I'm going to bless all the other nations of the earth. So um, I'll just summarize it like this. God's glorious plan is to fully establish his kingdom on the earth. It's uniquely tied to the destiny of Israel as a nation. So as a Gentile, meaning non-Jewish follower of Jesus— who longs for the fullness of God's kingdom to manifest in every nation, I now understand that scripturally my destiny and Israel's destiny are interdependent upon one another. So the Gentiles cannot see God's kingdom manifest on earth in fullness until Israel repents of their unbelief and embraces Jesus as their Messiah. Conversely, Israel won't be fully saved without the Gentile church loving her and earnestly praying and contending for her salvation. Therefore, I am passionately committed to see God's plan for Israel fulfilled, and I am eager to play my role in helping it happen. So I'll share more detail about this in the next two videos uh, in this playlist, but um, I just wanted to begin answering that question. Why is Israel significant? And I, it just really comes down to Israel is significant because God has chosen Israel and made her significant and made the nation of Israel significant. And so uh, we just acknowledge, hey, God's redemption plan begins. He made a covenant with Abraham and with Abraham's descendants. And through that covenant, God began revealing himself and his ways, not only to Israel, but to the nations of the world who were watching. And um, we'll get into more detail on the next video, but Israel is very, very significant for God's end times plans. And I just want to end this little section uh, by reading a scripture to you. Because there, there are some people who really love Jesus, but they mistakenly believe that um, God is finished with Israel. So God's like, yeah, you know, God used Israel in the old covenant, and now Jesus came, and the, the covenant is available to all the nations, and he's done with Israel. And that's just not true. It's actually unscriptural to teach that. God is not done with Israel. And praise God, because in order to fulfill his plan to rule the nations, God has to keep his promises and still fulfill the promises he made to Israel um, which we'll get into in a little bit. But in Zechariah chapter 8, this is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. My love for Mount Zion is passionate and strong. I am consumed with passion for Jerusalem. And now the Lord says, I love this, I am returning to Mount Zion and I will live in Jerusalem. That is literal Jesus the eternal son of God, the king of kings and lord of lords, will return to the earth. He will set up the capital of his empire in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. And then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. The mountain of the Lord of heaven's armies will be called the holy mountain. So we see that God's promise that he made to Abraham 
uh, you know, there are many people in the world that are like, ah, I don't think Israel is entitled to live in that land. Here's the deal. God, and you read it in Psalm 24, the Lord says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all the people. It's like, God's like, I, all the real estate is mine. I created it. Like, I own it all. I can let anyone live wherever I, wherever I choose to let them live. And God says, you know, I'm going to have nations all over the earth and all the people groups all over the earth, and they're going to be blessed. But listen, the nation of Israel, Abraham's descendants, they will live in the land of Canaan that I promised to them. And just like he told Abraham, they're going to live there forever. So if God were to just all of a sudden change his mind and say, ah, never mind. Um, I'm not, I'm done with Israel. I'm not going to keep my promises there. Um, Abraham would be, Abraham's still alive. He's in heaven right now with God. He could charge God with injustice. He says, you, you, you're not keeping your word because God said, that he would give that land to Abraham and his descendants forever. So God is going to keep his word. We serve a God who keeps his covenant promises. He doesn't just change his mind later. And God is going to keep his covenant to Israel. And we should rejoice in that. That is good news for us Gentile followers of Jesus. And we'll look at it in more detail in the next couple of videos. So uh, before I end this video, uh, I want to take a few minutes at the end of each of these videos to answer questions that you have about the end times. And um, you can just ask your questions. If there's anything I'm talking about in these videos about the end times that um, makes you have a question, you can write your question in the comment section below this video, and I'll, hopefully I'll, I'll see it and maybe be able to answer it in a future video in this playlist. Or you can email your questions to me at fivestaterevival at gmail.com. So today um, I'm answering a question from Stan. And uh, Stan said, quote, he says, I believe in the end of the age judgments. Is there a defining line that will be clear that they are starting or will we kind of slowly transition into them? And then he said, and what are some of the signs that show we are getting close to, to the end of the age? I assume he's talking about there. So um, first of all, I love this question. It's a great question. In fact, it's almost identical to a question that Jesus' disciples asked him at the beginning of Matthew 24. And I'm just going to read their question because it's almost this exact same question Stan asked. Jesus' disciples asked him, Matthew 24, verse 3, they said, Tell us, Jesus, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? And then Jesus, throughout the rest of Matthew 24, he begins giving um prophetic events and signs that will happen, and he gives them in chronological order. He's like, this is going to happen, and it's going to look like this, this, and this. And then he says, and then after that, this is going to happen. And when this happens, this, this, and this is going to happen next. And finally, that's going to lead to this, and then you'll see the sign of the coming of the Son of Man, and he will return. And so I want to encourage you first to read Matthew 24, because uh, Jesus lays it out really clearly in chronological order, the, the signs we should be looking for and uh, that will signal we're getting nearer to his return. And um, so, yeah, I really encourage you to do that. And uh, this, another way I want to answer the question is this, is um, in Matthew 24, Jesus gave a, a series of things that would happen. He says there's going to be deception, there's going to be false Christ that appear, there's going to be... Um, the uh, beginning of birth pains, you know, earthquakes and different things like that that are happening. And he says, these are the beginning of birth pains. And so what, what that is, and this is an important sign, 
Because we know that earthquakes have been happening throughout history up to the present time. There's been false teachers and false prophets and religious deception. It's all over the world. It's been going on for thousands of years. But what, what Jesus used the illustration that they'll be like birth pains. And that is a sign of the times. And let me uh, show you what that illustration is talking about. So when, when a woman is pregnant, and uh, at the beginning of her, uh, when she's going into labor and it's, it's about time to birth the baby, she starts having the birth pains, right, the contractions. But at first, the birth pains are light, and they're not that intense, and she can kind of smile and just carry on a conversation with friends in the room while these birth pains are happening at first. And they're kind of far apart, maybe 30 minutes apart. But as she gets closer to the time to birth the baby, um, all of a sudden, it's like those birth pains get way more intense. Like, she's not just laughing and carrying on conversations anymore. Like, she is focused on what she's doing. She's breathing. She's, you know, she's breathing and she is focused because they are intense. And they get closer together. So there's less time between the birth pains. And they get closer and closer to get together and more and more intense leading up to, they call it the transition, where she goes into hard labor. And that's usually a short period of time that where, uh, the, where she's actually the pushing the baby and then the baby is finally born. And so Jesus gave, he's like, these earthquakes, these deceptions, the things that he gives in Matthew 24, I think it's one through eight, are like uh, birth pains. And he says, these things are going to keep happening. They've been happening. But as we get closer to the, uh, that, the final transition into hard labor, which is the final three and a half year period before Jesus returns, the great tribulation it's often referred to as, um, that's like hard labor. And these birth pain signs, they'll keep happening. But as we get closer to that final season and to the return of Jesus and the birthing of the new age when Jesus is here reigning, um, those birth pains, they're going to get more intense and they're going to get closer and closer together where there's going to be just boom, 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 boom. They're happening just a lot closer together. There's less rest in between and they're harder when you're going through them. And it's going to require greater focus uh, by followers of Jesus to stay focused on Jesus, stay focused on the word, abiding in Christ in order to stay steady and bear fruit, good fruit in those seasons. So then that there's that final three and a half year period um, that that really um, leads to the culminates in the return of Jesus to the earth. And the major sign to look for that kicks off and lets us know, hey, you're now in that final three and a half year period is what the Bible refers to Jesus in Matthew 24. He calls it the abomination uh, of desolation. It's the major sign uh, to look for um, that will mark the beginning of that final three and a half year period period commonly called the Great Tribulation, or you could call it hard labor. Um, and then uh, I, I would also say this, signs to look for. When you read the book of Revelation, and it gives us uh, uh, 21 judgments, you know, three series of judgments. Uh, there's seven judgments in each one of the three series of judgments that God releases upon the earth, and they're pretty intense. I mean, this is, all, starting in Revelation 6, 
those judgments begin. And th- it's like, when does that first one happen? Because they're given in chronological order. The first one, actually, it's the beginning of the Great Tribulation. All of the judgments in the book of Revelation are happening. Dur- all of those 21 judgments, the seals, the trumpets, and the bull judgments, are actually dis- released by the Lord during that final three-and-a-half-year period. And the first one of those 21 judgments, it's, it shows the Antichrist. This is in Revelation chapter 6, the first seal judgment. It shows the Antichrist asserting his aggression, leading to massive war. And I believe that that includes what Jesus called in Matthew 24, and of course Daniel talked about in the book of Daniel, the abomination of desolation. So in another video, we'll go into more detail talking about that because that's one of the major signs to look for. When that happens, you have just began hard labor. You've entered into the final three and a half year period preceding the return of Jesus. This is session nine of the End Times for Beginners course. And in this video, I want to continue answering the question, uh, why is Israel significant to the completion of God's plan to bless all the nations? And I want to answer that question um, by giving three reasons of why Israel is significant. The first reason is because God has made her significant, bottom line. And uh, God has made Israel significant, and I talked about that in the previous video on this playlist, but God has made Israel significant through his covenants, his eternal covenants that he made with Abraham, with King David as well. The second reason that Israel is significant is because um, the nations of the world cannot come into their destiny until Israel first comes into her calling. So there is a calling um, and a grace that God has given the Jewish people to be servant leaders that bless all the peoples of the world. And it's interesting study to see how many of the great significant inventions um, uh, that have blessed the nations of the world have actually been invented or discovered by Jewish people. It's actually an interesting study. But in Genesis 18, 18, God... um, God said, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. Here's the key. And all nations on earth will be blessed through him. So again, we see the calling and the grace that's on Israel, which is the, the descendants of Abraham, to uh, to be servant leaders that bless the nations of the earth. In Genesis twenty two eighteen, God says to Abraham, through your offspring, All the nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then in Genesis 26, 4, God said again, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. Talking about the land of Canaan. We talked about that in the previous video. And here it is. Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Finally, in Genesis 28, 14, God says, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. We see that God says this over and over and over again. God has set things up in his redemptive plan for all the nations of the earth. It's through his relationship with Israel and the blessing and the covenants that he's made with them, that the salvation and the blessing of the kingdom of God 
comes to all the other nations or people groups on the earth as well. So God reveals himself to the nations of the world through the Jewish people. And of course, the the obvious thing we can see right now is Jesus himself, the Messiah, the Savior of the world who died to free us from our sins and rescue us from eternal prison and hell and escort us into the kingdom of God, the one whose blood has covered and washed away our sins and made us new. He's a Jewish man. He has Jewish parents. He is a Jewish man, and he will forever be a Jewish man. When he comes back to the earth and he's reigning as king of the nations, he's going to be a Jewish man in, in terms of his, uh, his human ancestry. He'll always be a Jewish man. And, and so all the nations of the earth will be blessed through his leadership as part of his eternal kingdom, but he's a Jewish man and will be forever. And then we also, all 12 of the original apostles were Jewish. And so they, Jesus says, you know, go and all, preach the gospel to all the nations and, you, you know, you will, uh, the spirit will come upon you and you will bring the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Here I am in the United States, and in 1993, I came to know Jesus, and I I was born again. But you know, the gospel got to me. It started way back with Jesus, and then his 12 Jewish apostles went and preached the gospel, and the gospel continued to spread throughout the earth until, thank God, it finally got to where I was at here in the United States, and I was able to enter the kingdom of God and into a covenant relationship with God, the God of Israel, Um, through Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. God promised, now this is a big point, God promised that the Messiah, that's Jesus, he would come and rule all the nations as the king of Israel, and that he would deliver Israel from her enemies, exalt Israel as the most blessed and prominent nation in all the earth. We see that like in Micah chapter 4, verse 1. And then it says that... um, And through Israel, every other nation on the earth would be blessed as well. So in Isaiah chapter 9, you know, everybody uses this as like a famous Christmas verse, but it's actually a a prophecy about Jesus ruling the nations. And it says, for to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his, like the governments of the earth will be on his shoulders. He will be uh, responsible for the governments of the earth. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, listen to this, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. It will fill, the glory of God will fill the earth. His, his empire, his kingdom will encompass every person, every people group, every nation on the entire planet eventually. Listen to this sentence, though. This is the key I'm trying to get to. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. Now, what is David's throne? David is referring to King David. He was the king of Israel. So David's throne is the throne of the king of Israel and over the government of Israel. So it's like Jesus, he's going to be the king, his increase of his government, there'll be no end, it'll fill the entire earth. But he'll actually be ruling for, as the king of Israel in Jerusalem. Um, and his rule will bless all the nations of the earth. And then it says, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And I love that statement, by the way. But So God's saying right here, he's like, God's kingdom that will encompass the whole earth. I want you to think of it like this. If you think back to the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire actually had a capital, right? It, it had a king. 
the head of the Roman Empire was Caesar, okay? And it had a capital of the kingdom, which was the city of Rome, which is in Italy, the nation of Italy. But the Roman Empire was bigger than that. It encompassed many other nations as it spread out. And and uh, governors and, and all these government officials were appointed in all these other nations. And Roman law was and policy and culture was implemented in all these number, other nations throughout the Roman Empire. But there was one king, it was Caesar, and his he- capital was in the nation of Italy in the city of Rome. And if you think about, like, the kingdom of God or God's empire, it's going to actually be far larger than any other empire. It's going to encompass every nation on the entire planet of earth. Like every nation will be part of his empire, but it will have a king, which is Jesus, the Messiah. It will have a capital city, which will be in the city of Jerusalem, which will be in the nation of Israel. So Jesus, as the king of Israel, will actually rule all nations and his policies and his laws and the culture of the kingdom. He will appoint the leaders and all the governments of the earth, and uh, his rule will spread throughout the nations, and the whole earth will be filled with blessing and righteousness and peace, et cetera, et cetera. So um, anyway, so... Why do I say all that? What does this have to do with Israel? Obviously, it should be obvious by now, but the nations of the world cannot fully experience the kingdom of God until Israel first comes into her calling with Jesus reigning on his throne in Jerusalem. And then the the third reason that Israel is significant is because um, Jesus will not return to the earth and reign until Israel repents of their sin willfully accepts him as their Messiah and invites him to be their king. Now, the problem with that is the majority of the Jewish people and even Israel, they're not, they don't believe in Jesus. They're not followers of Jesus. And even many of them are hostile toward Jesus and the gospel. And we'll get into this in the next video, like what's going to happen to get them from where they are now to the point where universally all of Israel is saved and they welcome Jesus to be their king. They're going to go through quite the process to get them to that point. And we'll talk about that in the next video. But in Matthew 23, Jesus prophesied to the leaders of Israel. He says, I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, Jesus was like, man, the day of your visitation was here. Like, here I am. You're Messiah. I'm right, but you don't recognize me or acknowledge me as your Messiah. You reject me. You persecute me. You're going to turn me over to the Romans to have me crucified uh, in the sovereignty of God. You know, God God allowed that for the for the salvation of the world. But um, Jesus is like to the leaders of the nation of Israel. He says, "You will not see me again until." This has to happen. He says, you will personally, with your own lips, you will acknowledge that I am the one who comes in the name of the Lord, that I am the Messiah, that I am the Lord, and you will willfully, joyfully submit to my leadership as king and invite me to rule over you as the king of Israel. And uh, God made that prophecy, so it's like, um, wow, this is really a big deal. I mean, for those who would say, like, ah, God's done with Israel. Who cares about Israel? You know, if they've rejected their Messiah, let's just move on to the other nations. It's like, no, I like my nation here in the United States of America or, you know, my people group, the the people groups of the nations of the earth, we cannot experience the blessing of the full reign of Jesus being implemented on the earth 
until he returns. And that's not going to happen until the Jewish people welcome him as their king and acknowledge him as their Messiah. So all of a sudden, I really care about the Jewish people repenting of their sins and recognizing Jesus as their Lord. All of a sudden, I really care about them coming into the fulfillment of God's prophetic promises and covenants that he's made to them because I can't come into the fullness of God's promises for me until they first experience the fullness of God's promises to them. Let me just illustrate it like this. If I were to come to you and say, I really like you, I'm a multi-trillionaire, I'm super wealthy guy, and I'm going to give you $5 billion a year. I make a covenant. I'm giving you $5 billion a year for the rest of your life. You would be like, yeah, I receive your promise, Jeff. You'd be like, yes, I receive. That's going to be great. But then I would say, but here's the contingency to that. I like your friend next to you too, and I'm going to make a covenant with him, and I'm going to give him $10 billion a year every for the rest of his life, but he has to take $5 billion of that and give it to you. So you will only receive the promise I made to you through him receiving the promise I made to him. And all of a sudden, when you realize that you can't really receive the full promise unless your friend first receives his promise, all of a sudden you care intensely about your friend coming into his destiny and receiving the promises that I made to him because your, the fulfillment of your promises depends upon him receiving the fullness of the promises to him. And guys, that is how God has set it up. God's like, I love all the nations of the earth. I want to bless all of them. And so I'm going to make a covenant with Abraham and with the Jewish people, with Israel, And through them, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth and fulfill my promises in all the nations of the earth. But I, but Israel first has to come uh, acknowledge me as their Lord, and then I will return as their king and begin ruling the nations, and all the nations will be blessed. And it's like, God, why did you do that? Why did you set it up this way? And I think about it, and I'm like, Jesus, you're brilliant. He's like, you know why? It's because I want you guys to love each other. Like I, like Israel cannot come to the point where they acknowledge Jesus as their Messiah without the help of the Gentile followers of Jesus, praying for them, loving them. I'm going to talk about it in detail in the next video, loving them, uh, contending for their salvation, serving them, preaching the gospel to them, interceding for them. And then they're going to come into it, but we can't come into the fullness of God's plans for us until they come to acknowledge Jesus as their Messiah. So God's like, I set it up where you need each other so that you'll love one another and you'll serve one another because it's the international family of affection with one father, God as our father, with one Lord, Jesus, the Messiah, one salvation through Jesus, the Messiah. We all enter the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus, the Messiah. But, uh, Israel is significant. God's not done with Israel. Thank God he's not done with them. He's going to fulfill all the covenant promises that he made to Abraham, to David, and therefore his kingdom will fill the earth and the earth will rejoice. Hope that was helpful. Listen, I would love to hear any questions you have. You know, I'm just giving an introduction to all these kind of topics. Hopefully they're clear. But um, if you have any questions about these things or anything else concerning the end times, um, 
let me know. You can leave your, your questions in the comment section below this video, and hopefully I'll see it and maybe get to answer it on a future video in this playlist. Or you can email your question to me at fivestaterevival at gmail.com. So um, I want to answer one of those questions right now. So this question is from Cecile, and this is what she wrote. She said, uh, the Bible says that every eye will see Jesus when he returns, which is true. So how does that work with the rapture? Is the rapture a separate event from the return of Jesus? Or the, and that's, that's what she was asking if she, she wondered that. So this is a really good question, and I think it's important to talk about this because um, whenever the rapture is mentioned in the Scriptures, it is always mentioned as coinciding with the return, the physical return of Jesus to the earth. And there is a... Um, a Good. There are great people that teach this. I, the church I got saved in taught this, but they would teach that the like the rapture happens. Uh, you know, many years before uh, the return of Jesus takes place, and uh, that's actually not in the Bible. Like literally, that is not in the Bible. The Bible college I went to, that was their theology. That's what they taught. I mean, those I got a, a degree in biblical studies. That was my major, and this is what they taught. But you know what? Like when I studied it for myself in the word, I'm like, okay, like I want to believe what you're telling me. Show me the verse where you see that. Because there's not one verse in the Bible that says that the rapture happens like several years at a separate time from the physical return of Jesus to the earth. In fact, the scriptures, uh, whenever they talk about the rapture, now the rapture is a real event. It's not a word that's used in the Bible, but what? But it's a real event. And it, it's talking about how when Jesus returns, those of his us who are his followers that are still alive on the earth at the time he physically returns, we will be caught up in the air to meet him in the air as he's returning. And even on the way up in the air, like in a flash, our bodies will be transformed into our eternal resurrected bodies, which is glorious. You can read that in 1 Corinthians 15. But the, the, the rapture of the saints actually happens during the time of Jesus returning to the earth. It doesn't happen like way before that. It happens during the return of Jesus. So uh, Matthew chapter 24 um, makes this really clear. Jesus says, immediately after the tribulation of those days. Let me just, when you read Matthew 24, I'll get into this in a few videos from now. We'll go through this in detail. But notice it says, after the tribulation. It's talking about the great tribulation. So after the tribulations of those days, then it says, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That's the second coming, the return of Jesus. He's like, after the tribulation, Jesus will return, and like Cecile mentioned, every eye will see him on the whole earth. But listen to the next verse. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So he's talking about that's the rapture. So we see like right there in that passage, after the tribulation, Jesus returns, and during his return, he sends out his angels, and those who are of his followers alive on the earth are caught up in the air to meet him. So there's many places where it talks about in the Bible. Another good place where they're mentioned together is 2 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. So 
to answer your question, uh, Cecile, thank you for asking me this question. Um, the rapture is a distinct event. I mean, we are those of us who are alive when Jesus returns will be caught up in the air to meet him. We'll be raptured or caught up is what that means to meet him. We'll get our resurrected bodies. It'd be awesome. Um, but that will happen at the time of his return as he's returning to the earth. It doesn't happen at a separate time. And so uh, illustration I used, and I don't know if this is a great illustration, but hopefully it will make sense to you. It makes sense to me because I'm, I'm a football fan. But if you if you think of like a football game and a team wins, there may within the context of the 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 one football game, their victory, there there's maybe several strategic key plays or key moments in the game where it was like a, a game changing play that happened. It's like oh, when the guy made this interception and ran it back for a touchdown, it turned the momentum of the game and it ended up leading to a victory. So that was a that interception returned for a touchdown was a key distinct event that happened within the context of the victory of the game but it's like uh but it did happen during the game and it's so it's like i think of the rapture it's like it's a distinct event it's it's a major thing that's happening but it's happening within the context of jesus returning physically to the earth with the armies of heaven, the angels and blazing fire, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of events that happen at the return of the Lord, and the rapture is one of those events, but they all they happen together. So in the previous two videos I, uh, in the playlist, I've been talking about the eternal significance of Israel and the Jewish people in God's plan to bless all the nations of the earth. We talked about the great calling that they have and the, the how God's going to keep his promises to Abraham and to David, etc., and the Jewish people, and it will bring blessing to all the nations of the earth. They have this high calling. So, But in this video, I really want to focus on the difficult path they're going to have to walk in order to come into that calling. So if you look right now, uh, Israel's prophetic destiny, right, according to the scriptures, is to passionately follow Jesus as their Messiah, to have Jesus physically ruling their nation as the head of their government, as their king, Messiah. Israel's destiny is to be the most prominent and loved nation in all the earth, to be at peace with all of her enemies, and that she will be a blessing, Israel will be a blessing to all the nations of the world as servant leaders. So that's the high calling on Israel, some of the specifics that God made in the Bible. Yet, today, most Jewish people uh, and the Israeli government do not acknowledge Jesus as their Messiah. And they can even be hostile to the gospel. Jesus is physically in heaven instead of on the earth uh, in Israel. Israel is, instead of being the most loved nation on the earth, they're perhaps the most hated and vilified nation on the earth, living in constant, instead of being at peace with all their enemies, like the Bible promises, uh, they are actually living in constant threat of attack from her enemies. In fact, uh, the majority of the nations surrounding Israel today, here in 2020, are hostile toward Israel and the Jewish people. They actually are openly uh, say that they want to annihilate the Jewish people and completely get rid of Israel, uh, the nation of Israel, altogether. And so it's like, huh. God has these amazing promises, but right now they're over here and they look really far from those promises being fulfilled. So what is going to happen to get 
Israel from where they are today to where the scripture says God is going to bring them, which is a very happy, good ending. Um, They're going to have to walk a difficult path, and it's important as Gentile followers of Jesus that we understand this because God has ordained a key role for us to understand the trouble they're going to go through, but also to understand the glory that God is going to bring them into in the end and to partner with the Holy Spirit in praying for and loving Israel to help them get through the difficult path and into the fulfillment of their calling. So here's what, uh, just a summary, six things that are going to happen to bring Israel from where they are today into their calling. Number one, the nations of the world will once again attack Israel leading to a second Holocaust, and that will eclipse even what happened in Nazi Germany. I, I hate that. I hate that that's going to happen, but the Bible makes it really clear it is going to happen in many, many, many different passages of the Bible. A few samples are Zechariah chapter 12, 13, and 14. I encourage you to read those in context on your own, but here's a few excerpts from there. God says, uh, I will make Jerusalem like a cup of wine. The nations around her will drink and stagger like drunks. In other words, they'll be intoxicated with this idea of getting rid of Israel and the Jewish people. And then he says, and when they besiege Jerusalem, the cities of the rest of Judah will also be besieged. So we see that there are going to be armies that come that actually uh, surround the city of Jerusalem and the rest of the cities uh, in the land of Judah. Next verse, but when that time comes, I will make Jerusalem like a heavy stone. Any nation that tries to lift it will be hurt All the nations of the world will join forces to attack her. Wow, that is a very clear statement. It's like this is a prophecy that God says. And then um, Zechariah chapter chapter, uh, 14, uh, actually 13, and then 14. It says, in the whole land, speaking of Israel, declares the Lord, listen to this, Two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left in it. So God prophesies right there during this time period uh, when they are all when the nations of the earth surround Israel and march upon the city of Jerusalem to attack it, um, two-thirds of the people there, two-thirds of the, of, the, of the Jewish people, they'll be struck down. They'll die, in other words. They'll be killed by these armies. And, but there'll be one-third left in it. And then it says, this third I will bring into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name. This is the good news, this last part. They will it, it end up, they will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people and they will say, the Lord is our God. Next verse, uh, Zechariah 14, 1. A day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided among you. And then it says this. God says, I will gather all the nations, here it is again, to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured. And you can see other scriptures where uh, Israel and the Israeli army, they'll fight valiantly and God will even anoint them and they'll have many great victories. But ultimately, a time will come when the armies of the nations that attack them, it'll be the anti, led by the Antichrist, the Antichrist armies. Um, he'll lead at least a 10-nation confederation, and there may be other nations of the earth that are joined in on that as well. They will march into the land of Israel. They will surround the city of Jerusalem and the cities in the land there of Israel. And it says that 
Ultimately, it says the city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. In other words, uh, eventually these Antichrist armies are going to break through, at least in part. And it says the city will be captured. They'll be stealing and ransacking, you know, the houses and all that kind of stuff and um, uh, abusing the people that are there. And then it says like half of the city that's there, that's still alive because we saw two thirds is killed and half of the one third that's left of the people left in the city will actually go away into exile. Think concentration camps like Nazi Germany type of thing. And then the other half will remain in the city until Jesus returns. So, it's like, wow, that's pretty intense. And it is intense. And there are tons of scriptures on this. This is a, a big study you can do in the Bible. But uh, that's w- the, one of the things that the Bible says is going to happen. Number two, another thing that's going to happen, the church will stand with Israel and contend for her to come into her prophetic destiny through prayer, evangelism, and acts of mercy. And this is so powerful because... Israel's greatest ally in this day, when these events happen and there's the, the, the Antichrist armies are attacking and surrounding them, um, Israel and the Jewish people, their greatest ally will be the church, will be the praying church, the Gentile followers of Jesus throughout the nations of the earth who understand God's eternal plans for Israel, the significant role they have, and um, for the kingdom, for Jesus to return and fill the earth with his glory and reign as the king of Israel, and they will be praying for Israel. They'll be sharing the gospel with the Jewish people. They'll be doing giving acts of mercy and caring for and providing for and feeding and even risk at the risk of their own life, protecting Jewish people. You know, a great illustration of this was during World War II. There's a story called The Hiding Place, and it's the story of the Ten Boom family. Corey Ten Boom was uh, one of the daughters in that family. They were a Gentile family who were followers of Jesus, and they lived in, I believe it was in Holland. And during World War II, of course, Holland was uh, uh, conquered. It was occupied by the Nazi German forces, and they began to implement their policies, which is rounding up, the, persecuting the Jewish people, rounding them up, and hauling them off to concentration camps where they were killed and it's abused and all kinds of hor- horrible things happened to them. Corey Ten Boom and her family, although they were Gentiles, they understood God's calling on the Jewish people, and they're like, that's not right. And they love the Jewish people because God loves the Jewish people. And they, and they actually would help Jewish people escape, where they would hide them in their house, and they would give them food, and there was kind of an underground railroad type of network set up to help Jewish people escape the land and get into other countries that were beyond Nazi control to escape to freedom and to safety. Eventually, the German forces caught the Ten Boom family uh, and doing what they were doing, helping the Jewish people, and the Ten Boom family themselves were shipped off with the Jewish people to concentration camps where a good number of them died. In the concentration camp, Corey survived to tell her story and preach the gospel. It's a super inspiring story. Like, I read that story. I'm like, God, if I were alive during that time in Europe, I would want to be one of the ones who was seeing the injustice and standing with Jesus, praying for the Jewish people, sharing the gospel, giving them food, even risking my life to help uh, rescue them and get them to safety. And God is going to raise up the church of Jesus Christ, the Gentile followers of Jesus from the nations of the earth at this time who will be operating in that, in that way, 
because we're like, God, no, Israel has to survive and come into their destiny. And actually God is going to use that to bring them to salvation. And the third thing that's going to happen is Jesus, praise the Lord, Jesus will return physically and miraculously deliver Israel from her enemies once and for all. And so what's going to happen is the second coming of Jesus. Jesus, in response to the prayers of the saints, Jesus is going to come from heaven with the armies of heaven in blazing fire. He's going to march up through Jordan. He's going to be liberating Jewish people who are, uh, you know, um, who are in exile, he's going to be liberating them, and he's going to march into the land of Israel, the Bible says, and he's going to actually attack the Antichrist armies, and he is going to slaughter them. It's going to be a a, a battle of Armageddon is what people usually call this, but he will disperse like these supernatural judgments upon them, the bold judgments in the book of Revelation. There's seven of them against the Antichrist armies gathered in Israel, and uh, and he will, with the Sword of his mouth, he will slay them and they will be slaughtered throughout the valley of Megiddo. Jesus will slaughter the Antichrist armies and he will march up to the gates of Jerusalem. And as he approaches Jerusalem, the surviving remnant of the Jewish people in the land will literally look at the one that they have pierced. They will look him in the eye. Physically, they will see Jesus, their Messiah. And the Bible says in Zechariah 12, it talks about a spirit. God says, I will pour out on the house of David at that time and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly as one grieves for a firstborn son. Because they'll look at this Jesus who rescued them as a greater King David, rescued them from their enemies. They knew there was nothing they could do to save themselves. And their covenant God, Jesus the Messiah, their Messiah, he comes back, he rescues them, and they look upon him and they seal the nails in his hands and they realize, oh my goodness, this is Jesus. He has been our Messiah all along. And, and they mourn in repentance for their sins. And the whole nation, the Bible says, and I think it's in Romans chapter 11, it says all of Israel will be saved. Like all the surviving remnant of Israel, every single one of them will get saved. They will believe in Jesus. They will confess him as their Lord. And they will invite him to come and be their king. And he, at their invitation, Uh, Jesus will take his seat on David's throne, hallelujah, as the king of Israel. He will heal the Jewish people and lead them into their destiny as the most prominent nation on earth. And then reigning from Jerusalem, Jesus will rule the nations, all the nations of the earth, and he will establish his government in, in, in all the governments of the earth. So here's the deal. Those nations who blessed Israel will be forever blessed by God. And those who cursed Israel will be cursed by God. You can read about that in the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew chapter 25. But I want to read this scripture to you because um, Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, it describes the anointing of the Spirit that's upon Jesus that he's going to be healing Israel because you remember when he comes back and they welcome his, him back as their king, look, like the surviving two-thirds of them have just been killed. They've lost their family members and friends. There's only a small remnant of them left in the land. Uh, they've been beaten. They've been at war. They've been, uh, uh, their stuff has been stolen from them. They have, you know, women have been raped. I mean, horrible things. Like they are a broken, shattered people when Jesus comes back. They repent. They get saved. 
And then look at this. Jesus said, this is Isaiah 61. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me, listen, to preach good news to the poor. He's talking about Israel here. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, that's those who are in exile, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim to Israel the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, meaning like the Lord, it's time for the God to fulfill all his promises to them. It's the year, of the, the season of the Lord's favor that's gonna last for the rest of all the eternity and God's vengeance against their enemies, against the wicked. Listen to this. He will comfort all who mourn. He will provide for those who grieve in Zion. Literally, this is a, in context, you read this scripture in Isaiah, its greatest fulfillment is at the end of the age when Jesus returns, when he's ministering, healing, and restoring the Jewish people. To bestow on them, I love this, a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They, speaking of Israel, will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor, like the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. Jerusalem will be the capital city of God's kingdom, Jesus, the Messiah, will sit on David's throne and the whole earth will be filled with his glory. And the Gentile followers of Jesus who are rejoicing, Jesus is here, victory over the enemy, glory to God, Israel is saved. Now his plans for the nations will become fulfilled, his kingdom throughout all the earth. And I just want to um, share with you a prophetic dream that God gave me. It was like a number of years ago, I was gonna be a uh, speak at a conference called uh, Stand South Dakota. And it was a, a conference um, about talking about standing with the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. And uh, right, I, I was preparing to speak at this conference and speaking many of the things I've shared in these last three videos. I had a dream from the Lord. And in the dream, I was in a Nazi concentration camp with the Jewish people. And it was interesting, even the dream, it was like in black and white, almost like a Schindler's List type of thing. And I, in the dream, I watched as they were shot in the head with bullets. Um, they wasted away from starvation and malnutrition. They were separated, violently separated from their families and from their children, from their parents. And they lived in constant fear. At the end of the dream, they were liberated. Like, they were liberated and although they were glad to be released, they were not joyful like I thought they'd be. Like, I thought they'd be like, yeah, we're free. Like, but they weren't. They were just kind of like, they were glad they were free, that the oppression had stopped. But they were a shattered people. I mean, they were a devastated people in this dream. And their health was dilapidated. Their spirits were crushed. Their hopes of being reunited with family members was uncertain because so many had been killed. They're like, I don't even know where my son or daughter or husband or wife is and our parents and I don't even know if they're still alive. You know, it was just like that uncertainty. And finally, at the end of the dream, I saw a loaf of bread and someone held it out and they broke off a piece of it and they handed it to me to eat. And I knew that God was calling me to eat the bread of suffering as a Gentile follower of Jesus. God was calling me to eat the bread of suffering with the Jewish people, to stand with them and share with them in their sufferings, contending with Jesus for their salvation. And God is making that same offer to you. 
Will you stand with Israel and contend with Jesus for their breakthrough? Because as I said in a previous video, the nations of the earth, we cannot fully come into our calling without Israel first coming into theirs. And God is calling us as followers of Jesus among the Gentile nations, the non-Jewish people, to stand with Israel, to pray for them and contend for their salvation. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Five State Revival Podcast. Listen, I'd love to hear any questions you have about the end times. You can email me at fivestaterevival at gmail.com. That's the number five, staterevival at gmail.com. And also, I want to encourage you to go to amazon.com and purchase a copy of my book. It's called Relentless Passion, Encounter God, and Burn with Passion for Jesus. And I wrote this book just to give practical instructions of how we can keep our passion, our first love for Jesus burning brightly throughout every single season of our life. And I think you'll find it uh, to be a blessing to you. So I encourage you to go to amazon.com and purchase that for yourself. So I'll look forward to connecting with you again on the next episode of our podcast. God bless you.